Thank you very much, uh, Adam, for leading us in those songs, and uh, thank you, Randy, for that prayer. It's great to uh, see Randy again. We've known each other in the past, and it's good to be able to be with him tonight. It's great to be with all of you. I hope you've had a, a good day today. I've enjoyed the cooler weather. I don't know how you feel about it, but I kind of like it. Uh, it gets hot in Dallas, and uh, I'm glad that to be somewhere where it's not as hot. It's good to see all of you. We've got a, a good crowd gathered together tonight on a Friday night. Thank you for taking time from your life and your busy schedule to be here. Enjoyed a wonderful meal with Adam and Julie and her, their boys, and it's good to visit with them and get to know them. And I know that you're richly blessed to have them, and I know you're richly blessed by Mike and Cherie. I don't have, um, I know of no man, no preacher who is a, a who loves preachers more and who supports preachers and who encourages preachers than Mike Vestal. And I'm thankful that we've been friends for. Uh, more than 40 years now, and uh, I love Mike, and we talk often, and it's always good to get to visit with him about the church and about the work that we're trying to do to encourage preachers. So it's uh, a good to be with you. We're studying the book of Ephesians. Last night we started with chapter 1 and 2, and we said that we're going to uh, divide the book of Ephesians into three parts. Uh, chapter 1 and 2 deals with our position, who we are in Christ, and in chapter 1, about 15 different times, Paul uses that phrase, in Christ. He'll say, in Him, in the Beloved. And in chapter 2, he talks about what we call those formerly but now statements, where he said, this is the way you used to live, and this is how you live now. And kind of the zenith of that is verse 11 and 12, where he said that before you were in Christ, you were separate from Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers from the covenant of promise. You're without hope and without God in the world. So he gives a, a five-point outline there, if you will, of what it's like before you're in Christ. He had previously said, but God, and now in verse 13 he says, but now because you've been washing the blood of the Lamb, you're no longer in the place you, are, you were before. And so that's the position of the child of God. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he's going to talk about the practice, how we live our lives every day. And we can't really uh, know how to live unless we fully understand who we are. And once he explains that, kind of the, the most, basic, uh, most basic suggestions about Christianity, he tells us how he wants us to live. But right in the middle of the chapter, and this is where we are tonight, chapter 3, uh, I hope you read the chapter. I was talking to somebody and they said they read it about 15 times today. And I thought he ought to get up here and preach it if he read it 15 times. But uh, it's a great chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible because it tells us about the plan of God. And I don't know of a, a place in the Bible where we have a more concise and precise uh, description of God's plan than we have right here in chapter 3. Now, I don't have uh, necessarily points tonight that I can say this is point 1 and point 2. But what I would like to do is just walk our way through Ephesians chapter 3. And you've studied this before, but just as a reminder of the plan of God, because this is, it's important for us to know it because we uh, want to understand what God has done for us, but it's also important for us to know it because we want to share it with as many people as we possibly can. And so Paul begins this chapter, and, and remember, you know this, that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the, uh, to the church in Ephesus, he didn't divide it into chapters and verses. He probably had a secretary or what the scholars call an amanuensis who helped him write it. And he wrote it on some kind of scroll or papyrus, uh, papyrus paper. 
And uh, he didn't divide it in chapters and verses. And so it's not as if Paul uh, had a pen and he said, okay, I'm going to write chapter one and I'm finished with chapter one. Now I'm going to go to chapter two and then to chapter three. He didn't write it that way. And so uh, it's sometimes the people who brought our translations together didn't know the best place to divide it. And, and most of the time it's very helpful, but sometimes we wonder why they divided it where they did. And this is one of those places. Because he begins in chapter 3 with the word for, uh, for this reason. Well, what reason, Paul, are you talking about? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, he closed this chapter by talking about that you're no longer strangers and aliens. And this is another one of those, um, uh, one of those um, previous statements, formerly but now. Uh, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens uh, with the saints and are of God's household. Now remember we said back in chapter 1 verse 1, he said the saints who are in Christ who are faithful. And we talked about the fact that if you're a child of God, you are a saint. Um, People might not call you that and they might not even think they should call you that. But if you're a Christian, you're a saint. And so Paul said that, that you are now joined together with all the other saints and you're of God's household or God's family. He says you've been built, that household has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief uh, cornerstone in whom the whole building, Jesus is the one whom the whole building is fitted together and is growing up as a holy temple of the Lord. Now, in, um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul is go- or Romans chapter 6, Paul is going to tell us that uh, our body is the temple of God. The body is the temple of God. But in this passage, he says that the church is the temple of God. Well, which one is it? Well, it's both. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, but also the church is the temple of God. And so he says here that we are growing up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also we are being built together with a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Because of this, Paul says, for this reason, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, the people in Ephesus were Gentiles primarily. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a Roman uh, cit- citizenship, it was a Roman city, and it was a, a very uh, a well-known place, it was a very popular place, and Paul said that you were Gentiles. And he says, I am, I am now, I've been made an apostle, and um, it is because, it is for your sake that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to notice in the first part of chapter 3 is that Paul is going to say that everything that he does and everything that he is, is for the sake of the Gentiles. Look at verse 2. If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. So he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ for you. Uh, the, the gospel has been given to me uh, for you. And he's going to say it a, a little bit later on again in this chapter. I want you to notice Paul's heart and his attitude about his Christianity and about the gospel. His thought was that I am a child of God, I am a prisoner of Christ for other people. The grace of God, the gospel of God has been given to me for other people. We would do well in our lives, in our walk with God as children of God, if we recognize the fact that God has made us Christians so that we can help other people. We're not Christians because uh, of some great thing that we have done. We're not Christians because we are necessarily special people. We become a part of a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a special people. But we're not Christians because of that. 
We are Christians so that we can influence other, Christ, other people to become Christians. We are Christians so that we can reach out to other people. And the gospel of God's grace has been given to us for other people. I wish that every gospel preacher, every teacher, every shepherd, every elder, every man, every woman who teaches Bible classes or every man who preaches the word of God, I wish they would look at the fact that they have been made preachers of the gospel and teachers of the gospel and it's because of the grace of God and it is for other people. So look at verse 3. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And so this is Paul bringing up this idea of the mystery. And he says, I wrote about this to you briefly. Well, Paul, where did you do that? Well, go back to chapter 1 and notice with me uh, in verse, um, uh, verse 9. Paul said, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. So Paul brings up the mystery in chapter 1 verse 9. And then in chapter 3, he says in verse 3 that I had written to you briefly about it. It was very briefly that he wrote about it. And now he says, um, it has been made known to me. And verse 4 says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So whatever this mystery is that Paul is talking about, he says it was made known to me and it was given uh, to us uh, so that we can make it known to the world. But he said it was made known to me, and he says, when you read what I'm going to write, you'll understand my insight into the mystery. Well, apparently, these people didn't understand the mystery before this. They did not know about the mystery. And so Paul says that when you read my insight, you'll understand. Verse 5, which in other generations, well, what generation? Well, previous generations. In other generations, it was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So whatever this mystery is, Paul says in previous generations, people didn't understand it. They didn't know what it was about. But it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, and Paul considered himself to be one of those, and the prophets in the Spirit. So what is this mystery? Well, look at verse 6. Uh, some translations in verse 6 use the word, uh, write the word namely. Uh, my translation says to be specific. Paul could not be more plain. He's about to tell you what the mystery is. He's already said that in previous generations it was not made known, but it has now been made known. And when you read what I'm going to write to you, you'll understand. It must be something that is important. It must be something that is going to be meaningful to the lives of these Christians. And by the way, it's going to be meaningful to us as well. To be specific, what is it, Paul? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There it is right there. That is the mystery of God. That is the mystery of the will of Christ. That is the mystery that in previous generations was not made known to the sons of men. That is the mystery that Paul says was made known to us. By the way, remember he said by revelation. God revealed it to him. The Spirit of God revealed it to Paul. He revealed it to other writers, other apostles, and other prophets. And now Paul says, I'm telling you what it is. Well, what is the mystery? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus uh, through the gospel. Well, why is this important? Well, it's important because these people who are Gentiles um, did, would not have understood what it means to be fellow heirs and fellow partakers and fellow Christians if it had not been for the mystery that Paul is, has revealed to them. 
And it's important to us because guess what? We're Gentiles. Um, Nobody in this room, I guess, is. There's no Jewish people in this room. There might be. And if you are a Jewish person, um, I hope that you have bought into what it means to be a child of God, into the kingdom of God. I hope that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been obedient to him. But, Paul, but in previous generations, it was not made known that, that people like us could become Christians. It was not known in previous generations. And uh, it's important for us to recognize it. L- let me show you one other passage that bears this out. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter is going to write uh, what I believe to be a parallel passage to what uh, Paul has written in Ephesians chapter 3. So notice with me if, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and look with me at verse uh, 9. Peter writes, and also Peter is writing to Gentiles, by the way, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So Peter is writing about the salvation of mankind. And he says in verse 10, as to this, sal- <coughs> as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Now Peter said that there were prophets who prophesied about Jesus Christ. If you look at the next verse... He says in verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. What does all of that mean? Well, they wrote about the coming of Christ. They wrote about the suffering and the death of Christ. They wrote about the the salvation that Christ would bring. That's what he's talking about here. But apparently, some of the very people who wrote about it didn't understand everything about it. Paul said in previous generations it was not made known to the men. And Peter says that even the people who wrote it made careful searches and inquiries to try to figure out what it was all about. Well, well, who wrote about the, the coming of Christ? Who wrote about the sufferings of Christ? Who wrote about the coming of salvation to uh, the whole world? Well, it begins way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So Moses wrote about it. Did Moses understand Everything that he was writing when he talked about the fact that, uh, that the servant of Christ, um, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of woman. You think Moses understood all what that was going to be about? Well, you turn over further in your Bible, and you read places like Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. You remember in Isaiah chapter 2 when Isaiah wrote about a, a kingdom that was going to come, and it would be greater than all the other kingdoms, and it would be... Um, it would, it would overcome all the other kingdoms in the world. And Isaiah said, listen to this, Isaiah said that all the kingdoms, you ready for this? All the kingdoms will flow into it. What in the world does that mean? You think Isaiah understood everything about that? He prophesied, it was given to him through revelation that there would be a kingdom that would arise up and this would be like the 10th kingdom and it would be greater than all the other kingdoms. It would, it would overcome all the other kingdoms. And, and Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2 that to that kingdom, listen to this, to, that to that kingdom there would be no end. There would be no end. Now just think about that. All the other kingdoms had an end to them. All the other kingdoms come and go. All the other kingdoms uh, fall. But whatever kingdom Isaiah was talking about, there would be no end to this kingdom. And all the other nations, all the other kingdoms would flow into it. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. I don't know that Isaiah understood all of that. 
He, it was given to him by revelation, and he wrote it down. And he knew that whatever this kingdom was, it would overcome all the other kingdoms and all the nations would flow into it. Isaiah chapter 53. Remember Isaiah wrote about this suffering servant? And he said that this suffering servant uh, would be like a lamb who would be led before his shearers and he would not open his mouth. Two times in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah said that he would pour out his soul unto death. I'm not sure Isaiah can understand all of what that was about. I'm not even sure I understand that particular principle. He would pour out his soul unto death. Two times Isaiah said that. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah wrote about a wonderful counselor, a savior. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, about verse 31, that there would come a day that, that uh, you would not have to say to your neighbor anymore, no Jehovah. For listen to this, for they will all know me. Know him from the least to the greatest. You think Jeremiah could comprehend all of that? Could understand all of that? Well, Paul said that in previous generations, this was not made known to men, to the sons of men. And Peter said that the very ones who wrote about it made careful searches and inquiries, trying to figure out what manner of person this was talking about. So these prophets who wrote about it. Joel chapter 2. Joel wrote about a day that would come when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and Old men and young men would see visions and dream dreams. And you think Joel understood what that was all about? Well, Paul said that in previous generations it was not made known, but it now has been made known. And all of that from Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 53, Daniel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, all of that, all of that is prophecy concerning the coming of Christ in the kingdom of God. And Paul says... Now it is here. And when you read what I'm going to write, you will understand all of that. And Peter said that they made careful searches and inquiries and they didn't know all about that. And we're going to come back to 1 Peter chapter 1 before we close tonight because it ties into this passage again. So to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now the Holy Spirit knew and Paul knew that there would be some Jewish Christians who would have trouble with the Gentiles coming into the church. As a matter of fact, they had already experienced that. In um, Acts chapter 15, you know about the Jerusalem council where, where um, Peter had trouble with, um, even before that in Acts chapter 10, Peter wasn't sure about going to the household of Cornelius. And then they had a discussion. Um, I think one of the translations says in Acts chapter 15, there was a discussion that occurred and there was no small dissension. That's kind of understating the case a little bit. I imagine it was an all-out verbal war that took place in, in, Luke, in Acts chapter 15. So the Jews, some of the Jews had trouble with this. And the Holy Spirit wants them to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that now the mystery of God is being revealed and the mystery is that people all around the world can be saved. And it's important for us to know that because we have to take the gospel. We must take the gospel to every person that we come in contact with and to people around the world. And if we're not careful, sometimes we get this idea in our heart, in our mind, that the gospel is for us. It's like for the church. It's for Christians, but it's not for everybody else. Listen to how Paul describes these people. They're, they're fellow heirs. Well, to the Jew being an heir of the seed of Abraham, or the promises to Abraham. Uh, that, was the, that was kind of the apex of what it meant to be a, 
a, a child of God in their mind. And only those people who were heirs, you, if you were not an heir, you could not be a child of God. That's the way they looked at it. And Paul says, watch out. Now the Gentiles are, are fellow heirs and they're fellow members of the body. And he's talking about the body of Christ and their fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And that would be the promise that began with Abraham uh, that was told throughout the prophets and the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. It is the promise of salvation. And verse 7 says, of which I was made a minister. And I love the way Paul writes this, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Paul believed that he was made a vessel to the Gentiles, a preacher, a minister to the Gentiles. And he says it again, as he did back in verse 2, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. And then notice Paul says it was according to the working of his power, not my power, not my strength, not my um, education or my intelligence or my ingenuity or my creation, but it is according to his power. And if, if there's a passage in the scriptures that should help us realize how blessed we are uh, to be children of God, this would be one of those passages. And every preacher of the gospel ought to consider the fact that he has been made a preacher of the gospel because of God's grace. It's not because we are smarter than anybody else or, or have more creativity or more wisdom. It is because of the grace of God. And if I'm a preacher of the gospel because of the grace of God, I'll never be arrogant or proud about that. And notice how Paul carries this a step further in verse 8. To me, he says, the very least of the saints was this grace given. It was given to me. You remember on another occasion, Paul would talk about being the least of the apostles. And this time he says, I'm the least of the saints. The third time Paul has used the word saints in this book. And he says, I'm the least of the saints, but this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So Paul believed that to be able to preach the gospel is a gift of the grace of God. And uh, I've been blessed to be able to do this for uh, 47 years now. And every single time, every single time, I think about the fact that this is not only a, a solemn charge that's been given to us, uh, 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 3, uh, Paul said, with all solemnity, I charge you in the presence of God, preach the word. It's a solemn charge, but it is also a gift of the grace of God. And how can any preacher of the gospel be proud or arrogant? How can any Christian be arrogant when we understand that we've been given a gift of God's grace uh, to be able to do this? And Paul described this gift, this gospel of God, as the unfathomable, some translations say, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ, the gospel contains all of the riches of Christ. The gospel is about Jesus. And our preaching and teaching ought to be about Jesus. More than we teach and preach about anything else, we ought to preach and teach about Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, when I came to the city of Corinth, and by the way, Corinth was a wicked city in that day. When I came to the city of Corinth, I did not come with excellency of speech or, or with a special kind of knowledge. Paul said, I came to know only one thing among you. What is that, Paul? Paul could have said, I came to know the Jewish law because Paul is sat at the feet of Gamaliel, probably the greatest teacher of the law of that day. He could have said, I came to know, you, to, to know among you. Uh, he could have talked about the, uh, 
the oracles of Delphi written on stone. No doubt he had seen those oracles. He knew about the wisdom of the Greek Greek gods and the Greek scholars of his day. He would talk about them in other places, but he didn't come to know any of that. He said, I came to know only one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul would tell the very elders of this church in Acts chapter 20 that I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Paul believed that it was his duty and a blessing in his life to be able to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at verse 9. To bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So he says it again. He says, um, we are like administrators of this mystery. Uh, we are stewards, it will say in other places. The word steward or administrator it just means like a manager. It doesn't mean we created it. We didn't create the gospel, but we are like, uh, almost like managers of the gospel who take the gospel uh, to various people in different cultures and in different ways. Uh, we uh, need to be able to discern the times in which we're living and, and the, the communities in which we live to know how best to get the gospel. We're administrators of the grace of God, this, this unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul reiterates again in verse 9 that in ages past it was hidden in God. God knew about it, but nobody else did. It was hidden in God who created all things. And then verse 10, Ephesians 3 verse 10, probably one of my very favorite verses in all of Scripture. It was hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God The word manifold there is a word that means some of the old translations will use the word variegated. It means many colored or many splendored or many faceted or many sided. All of those words describe this word manifold. It's a word that uh, you think of a, a, a person who's made a beautiful quilt and put many different colors and patterns and shapes. That's the word manifold. Or think about on a hillside that is covered by beautiful flowers in the spring, and you see a lot of different colors and a lot of different shapes and a lot of different types. This is the word manifold, the manifold wisdom of God. And I love the way Paul describes this idea of the mystery of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ as uh, the wisdom of God. So when we proclaim the gospel, we are presenting the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. And listen, the wisdom of God is always, listen, it's always better than the wisdom of man. It always trumps the wisdom of man. Now, sometimes we'll hear about a church who'll say, well, you know, we, we went back and we've restudied this idea and uh, we believe based upon our wisdom that this is what that means. We should never base what we teach or what we do, uh, how we live on man's wisdom. God's wisdom is always better. So it's the manifold wisdom of God. And Paul says that it might be made known uh, through the church. Well, you already knew that, that the gospel of God is presented uh, through the church. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why he said in Mark 16, go therefore and uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, Matthew says all nations, Mark says every creature. Uh, Dr. Luke says, uh, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Savior to suffer that repentance and remission of his sins should be preached 
throughout all the nations. He wants us to go in all the world and proclaim the gospel. Jesus told his apostles before he ascended in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, I want you to begin here in Jerusalem and go out through Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the world proclaiming the gospel. It's my conviction that the gospel was preached to the entire world during the first century. Colossians 1.23 says that it was preached to every creature. I believe that everybody had, had heard the gospel. And uh, I don't believe that everybody in our world has heard the gospel tonight. And our hearts ought to break over that. But you know, we have greater means and methods and opportunities now to present the gospel to every person in the world than we've ever had before. We have greater opportunities. We have, we have greater ways. I mean, who, who would have ever imagined that, uh, that you, could, you could type a note and you could send it to the dark corners of the world and people could read it? We could send the gospel. Um, during the time of the pandemic, we broadcast our services and we got an email from a, a man who was a pilot and uh, he, he was from Australia. And he said, I, I sit every Sunday on the tarmac before I leave and I, I worship uh, through, I listen to the sermons and I watch the worship. And I thought, how, how blessed we are to be able to present the gospel to the world in ways that are far beyond what we've ever been able to do before. And so we need to take advantage of all of these methods and all of these times and all of these ways to proclaim the wisdom of God to the world. But notice here, in, in this verse, Paul is not talking about the church making known the wisdom of God to the world. Look at what the text says. He says that we, uh, the, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, not to the world, but look, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Your Bible might say principalities and powers. Uh, by the way, that phrase, rulers and authorities, or principalities and powers, it's found more in the book of Ephesians than any other book in the Bible. Paul is going to use that phrase a number of times. But he's saying here that the wisdom of God is made known uh, through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Well, who is that talking about? Well, I, I believe it's talking about the angels. That it's through the church that the angels are able to see more about the wisdom of God. Now, it could be in the heavenlies, uh, literally, it could mean that even the, uh, the angels and the demons and the rulers and authorities in hell. It could be the devil and the demons themselves. And, and I, I believe that uh, while the devil is never, he's never afraid of our opinions, and he's never afraid of our thoughts, and he's never afraid of our wisdom, but he fears the word and the wisdom of God. When Jesus was tempted in Luke chapter 4, Three times he said to Satan, it is, temp it is written, it is written, it is written. So Satan's not afraid of us. He's not afraid of our wisdom. He's not afraid of our knowledge. He's not afraid of, uh, of our ability. But he fears the word of God and the will of God. And so he sees, when he sees the church, he sees the wisdom of God uh, in action. And so it's through the church that the, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the principalities and the powers. Go back, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1 one more time. I want to show you what Peter says in this parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 3. So Peter has said in verse 9 that he's writing about the salvation of your souls. 
He said, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come have made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. And then if you go down to verse 12, look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And again, there's that idea that the proclamation of the gospel and uh, uh, the passing out of the gospel is for other people. They're not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Same thing that Paul has said in Ephesians 3. In previous generations it was not made known but now it is made known through the holy apostles and the prophets and so it is now being preached to you through those who preach the gospel, announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then look at the last statement in verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Some translations say uh, things into which angels desire to look into. What does that mean? Well, it means that the angels are in heaven and the angels uh, want to know more about God's plan of saving the world and, and how this Uh, how this is working. And uh, Paul said that we proclaim the wisdom of God through the church to the angels. And so the angels are desiring to look into these things. You remember in uh, Luke chapter 15, when Jesus tells the parable or parables about a lost coin and a lost uh, sheep and a lost son. And Jesus says when that woman uh, cleans her house and she finds that coin, she calls her friends together and they rejoice. And Jesus said, you remember what Jesus said? There's rejoicing among the angels in heaven. That means the angels can see what's going on. And they're rejoicing. And based upon what Peter says and what Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse, uh, verse 10, the angels see what's going on in the church. So the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Here's what I get from that. That every single time somebody is taught the gospel and they're baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, when you talk to a friend and you invite them to study the word of God with you, and when they become children of God based upon their faith and their repentance and their confession of Christ and by being baptized into Christ that the angels in heaven are not only rejoicing, but you're ready for this? They're looking down and they're saying, isn't God wise? We proclaim the wisdom of God through the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. And every time somebody who's been out of duty who's quit serving God, who's walked away from Christ, every time they're reached and they come back and they come home and they ask for forgiveness and they ask to be restored to their first love, the angels are looking down and the angels are saying, is it God wise? And every time that Brother Mike or Brother Adam or or any of these men get up and proclaim the word of God and they preach the truth of God's word, the angels are looking down and they're saying, is it God wise? And every time the elders guide the church and lead the church and feed the church and shepherd the flock the way that they should, the angels are saying, isn't God wise? And every time we gather together to worship God and we lift our voices up in praise to Him and we commune together on Sunday and and we worship Him from the deepest parts of our hearts and, and we are all united and we love each other and we're fellowship with each other, the angels are saying, isn't our God wise? And every time the church 
reaches out to the community. And every time the church uh, shares the gospel with their neighborhood, and every time we do something that is a kind act of service to others, the angels are saying, isn't God wise? And every time a husband treats his wife the way that he should, and a wife treats her husband the way that she should, and every time parents raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and every time you live your Christianity, when you go to work, the angels are looking down and the angels are saying, is it our God wise? You know why? Because they see the church being what the church should be and doing what the church should do. And Paul said that we proclaim the manifold wisdom of God through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And every time we use our own wisdom and we follow the wisdom of man compared to the wisdom of God, our God is disappointed because we are not following his wisdom. But when we use his wisdom and we proclaim his wisdom and we make known his wisdom to the world, the angels say, is it God wise? And then in verse 11, Paul kind of wraps up this part of this uh, section, this part of this chapter, and he says this. Well, what what are you talking about, Paul? Well, all of these things that he's been talking about. The mystery of God that in previous generations was not made known to men. The gift of God's grace of preaching the gospel when he talks about the fact that uh, we make known the wisdom of God uh, to the angels in heaven through the church. All of this, he says, and this is a beautiful statement. All of this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? That means that everything that Paul has been writing about in this chapter, this mystery that was not made known to the sons of men in the time past, but to use Peter's word, was hidden in God. All of this, all of this was a part of the eternal plan of God. What that means is that that God created this plan, that God dreamed this plan, that God initiated this plan, that all of it was begun in the mind of God before God ever created a human being. God knew that he was going to create beings that he would give the freedom of choice so they could make their own decisions and they could make their choices. And he wanted to give every man an opportunity, every woman, every boy, every girl, an opportunity to know what could bring about their eternal salvation. And so in Titus chapter 2, Paul would write to Titus in verses 11 and 12 or 10 and 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Our God wants everybody to be saved. Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises as men count slowness, but he's long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but watch it, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be saved. In that book of Titus, three times, Paul will refer to God after the introduction, once in chapter one, once in chapter two, once in chapter three, three times he says, God, our savior, God, our savior, God, our savior. Three times in Titus, Paul refers to Jesus Christ and he talks about Jesus Christ, our savior, chapter one. Jesus Christ, the savior of all men, chapter two. Jesus Christ, our savior, chapter three. He's so much our savior that he is called in the book of Micah, the pardoning God. He wants everybody to be saved. He is the God who loves us abundantly. He doesn't want anybody to be eternally lost, but he wants everybody to be saved. And all of this, Paul says, was a part of the eternal purpose of God. 
It was God's plan from the beginning. I heard a preacher say one time that uh, God intended to save the world uh, through the Jewish nation. He intended to save the world that way. But the Jews rejected God, and so God had to come up with another plan. And the answer to that is no. A thousand times no. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Everything that God did was designed. That's why Galatians 4.4 says that when it was just the right time that Jesus Christ was born into the world. God had a plan for everything, and He wanted everything to work the way that it did. And, And so... This is important and this is good for us to know because sometimes in the church when things are not going well and, and, and maybe we're not, uh, we're not growing as much as we want to grow and there are people who are arguing and fighting and uh, we, we wonder and I, I hear sometimes preachers, they get a little bit uh, negative and they say, well, uh, you know, I'm concerned that if we don't change some things, if we don't do things different, the church is just going to disappear. And I want to say, are you, who are you kidding Jesus Christ said the gates of hell cannot even prevail against the the kingdom of heaven. And if the gates of hell can't prevail against it, nothing on this earth can prevail against it. The church is going to exist and God has a plan. And someday, someday Ephesians 5 says that Jesus Christ is going to present this church to the Father without spot or blemish. A glorious church. Well, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but that's not the church I know right now. Unfortunately, the church has a lot of spots and a lot of blemishes in it. And if you think the church is perfect and you wonder why it's imperfect, uh, just go home and look in the mirror tonight. <laughs> I heard a preacher tell, say a poem one time that went something like this. To live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those I know, that's an entirely different story. <laughs> Someday... Jesus will present the church to his Father without spot or without blemish. And it's all, it's all a part of the plan of God, the eternal plan of God. And then Paul closes this section by saying that he carried all of this out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of that, Paul says because of that, we can have boldness and confident access through our faith in him. We can't have boldness and and confidence because of ourselves. But it is through Him. Because we know that everything that happens in the, the life of the church, in the big scheme of things, is all a part of being in Christ and is a part of the eternal plan of God. And so may God help all of us to be grateful for this mystery that has been revealed to us today so that we can carry this mystery, this wisdom of God Uh, to the world, and not only show it to the world, but show it to the angels in heaven. Every time you live the way that you should live, every time you choose to do right, every time you follow the right path, every time you pray, every time you study the Word of God, every time you're the right kind of example and influence in the world, the angels say, isn't God wise? And don't ever forget, friends, that you are a part of the eternal plan of God. You have a place in God's eternal plan. And no matter what your gifts are, no matter what your talents and your abilities are, no matter what you think you can do, you have a place in the kingdom of God. And you are part of the plan of God. And that's a massive concept, that God would allow us to be a part in his eternal kingdom. And so tonight we want to sing a song of encouragement that Adam has selected. 
And it may be that there's somebody in this room tonight who's never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's somebody here who's never become a Christian. The Bible is very clear that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you will give him your life in repentance, if you will confess his name before men, and you will be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, he will wash away your sins. He'll add you to his church. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he'll put you on your road to glory. If you've never done that tonight, you can become a part of something that has eternal significance that has been in the mind of God since before the world was ever created. And if you're a child of God tonight and for whatever reason you've become cold in your walk with God, we want to encourage you to to come back to God. He longs for you. He's waiting for you to come home. And he will receive you with open arms. And the church will as well. So if you need the prayers of the church, if you need to become a Christian, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come to Jesus Christ while we stand together and while we sing this song.